I'm Andrew O'Hagan, host of a new podcast from the London Review of Books. It's about the bloodiest and most controversial event of the Falklands War, the sinking of the General Belgrano. Margaret Thatcher was accused of a war crime. The truth would only emerge in the pages of a private diary. This is the Belgrano Diary. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Welcome to the London Review Bookshop. So we find called the shot in. <clears throat> the shot in. It's a kind of um, uh, uh, it's, a, it's a wee Calvinist sonnet about the anticipation always being uh, better than the event. <clears throat> Good of them all told to leave me locked inside my favourite hour. The whole one early. I came to wait for one I loved too dearly in this coffered snug below the viaduct with my dark vernacular ale, Stevenson's short fiction, and the little game I played of not thinking of her except to thumb away the exquisite stitch that gathers at my breastbone. The minute hand strains at its lengthening tether like Achilles on the hair, the luscious beer refills, the millionth page flowers on the last of the bottled imp. O oh, fathers, leave me here, beyond the night, the stars, beyond the vast infinitesimal letdown of each other. Here's one I haven't read for ages. It's called My Love. It's just about the selfishness of love. I mean, it's an old theme. to which I have very little new to add. <coughs> My love. It's not the lover that we love, but love itself. Love as in nothing, as in oh. Love is the lover's coin, a coin of no country. Hence the ring, hence the moon. No wonder that empty circle so often figures in her intimate dark, our skin trade, that commerce so furious we often think loves something we share, but we're always wrong. When our lover mercifully departs and lets us get back to the business of love again, either we'll slip it inside us like the host, or we'll beat its gibbous drum that the whole world might know who has it, which was always more my style. Or oh, the moon's a boran, a skin gong torn from the hide of Capricorn, and many's the time I'd lift it from its high peg, grip it to my side, tight as a gun, and whip the life out of it, just for the joy of that huge heart under my ribs again. 
A thousand blows I showered like meteors down on that sweet spot over Mari Imbrium where I could make it sing its name over and over. Will I have the moon? I cried. No ship will sink or woman bleed or man lose his mind. But truth told, I was terrible. The idiot at the session spoiling it, as they say, for everyone. Oh, kings petitioned me to pack it in. The last time I peeled off my shirt and found a coffee bruise that ran from hip to wrist and two years passed before a soul could touch me. Even in its lowest coin, it kills us to keep love, kills us to give it away. All of which brings us to Camille Flammarion, signing the flyleaf of his Terdiciel for a girl down from the sanatorium. And his remark, the one he couldn't help but make on the gorgeous, candid pallor of her shoulders. Then two years later, unwrapping the same book, re-inscribed in her clear hand with my love and bound in her own lunar vellum. That last incidentally is a true story um, about Flammarion. He had a book sent back to him bound up in this girl's skin that he'd complimented. Daft, shouty things I can read in this condition. There's a, there's a, uh, there's a point called the reading. Um, it's about readings. And it's about a guy called Simonides who's, you know, who some of you will know as a minor poet in the Greek anthology. He's a minor poet, um, but he's significant to poets for a couple of reasons. One in particular, he's the first guy that had the idea of getting paid for this, which is a profoundly good idea. I have to tell you. Um, before that, no, it was a huge paradigm shift, you can imagine. The world was turned up, upside down overnight. Um, the other thing that um, Simonides is, is, is uh, credited with is the invention of this thing about Ars Memoriae. You know, um, that old mnemonic technique that involved... Uh, Memorizing a space in your head, a theater, an arena, a church, a temple, and placing objects on it in a certain pattern. So when you walked around them, you could use the whole thing as a way of memorizing a huge speech or a huge list or whatever, you know. Um, and that was that's been taken up at various points in history. Um, but he's uh, credited with it. There's a very strange legend about Simonides that consolidates these two bizarre strands in his career. Um, Dioscuri, of course, as you know, are just uh, uh, Castor and Pollux, the heavenly twins. So this is, a, the whole poem is a kind of a, um, it's a warning to audiences. Um, it's, about two th it's about the two things that poets hate the most. One is not getting paid, um, or not getting paid on time which is usually the case. Or not getting paid on time, or not getting paid six months late minus your tax and national insurance. Um, and it's happened to me once, I wish I was making this up, minus the curry the promoter found she couldn't claim back from the council. Uh, and the other thing we hate is um, audiences who don't pay attention. <laughs> the reading. <clears throat> the first time I came to your wandering attention, my name was Simonides. Poets whose air of ingratitude forms in the womb, 
have reason at least to thank me. I invented the thing you now call the commission. Oh, and one other frivolity refined by Aquinas, tuned up by Bruno and perfected by Hannibal Lecter. All in good time. But first to the theme of this evening's address, the reading. It was not a good poem, if I say so myself. As good as the fee, though, and better than him who that day bought my praises, a man of so little virtue to sing of, I ended up fleshing it out, as you do, with something I'd found in the drawer. A hymn that had made a while back for the twin sons of Leda, the Dioscuri. At the feast he had held in his own dubious honour, the little king assigned me to start. But though they were quiet for my half-baked encomium, applauding like seals when I'd finished, his guests, when I started to read from my own stuff, returned to their wolfing and hollering. The king, though, was silent. My lyric economies had not, so it seemed, gone unnoticed. When he offered me only one half the struck price, I made too much show of my anger, knowing, I dare say, his wrath the more just. But right then, I seemed to go deaf. Every eye turned on me, narrowed, at which point I thought it a smart move to drop it. However, I fixed each man's face in my mind, each man at his rank at the table. That trick of mine. Your coupons, oh my rapt listeners, I'll have nailed by the end of this poem. Then this, a young slave girl ran into the hall and right up to me with this message. Two golden-haired boys had arrived at the gate and wanted to talk with me, urgently. I asked her I might be excused, a small boon they were more than delighted to grant, and took a slow stroll to the gate. I found no one. Bloody kids. I turned back to the hall and cursed them to heaven. Heaven replied without hesitation or stint. A great thunderbolt aimed not at me, but the ridgepole. The roof groaned and, and splintered, sagged for a moment, then cracked and came down on a lot of them. After the dust and the sirens had died, the wives all came wailing and weeping to claim what they could of their tenderised menfolk. Alas, they were all so disfigured, no one could work out whose husband was whose. Of course I could. The red beard, just there by the fire, and the scar face, the door, and the hawk nose. Poor woman, look under your feet. I picked my way down to the head of the table and held the fixed gaze of my patron as I knelt in the rafters and carefully counted the rest of my fee from his purse. A couple of points from my wee boys, they've got twins, they're four and a half now. Um, these points were written when they were younger. Um, it's a poem called, uh, it's a, uh, called Waking with Russell. It's about when the wee boys started to smile for the first time. Um, Whatever the difference is, it all began the day we woke up face to face like lovers and his four-day-old smile dawned on him again, possessed him till it would not fall or waver. And I pitched back not my old hard-pressed grin, but his own smile, or one I'd rediscovered. Dear son, I was Metro del Camino, and the true path was as lost to me as ever when you cut in front and lit it as 
treasure ran. See how the true gift never leaves the giver. Returned and redelivered, it rolled on until the smile poured through us like a river. How fine, I thought, this waking amongst men. I kissed your mouth and pledged myself forever. Kind of obliged to say now that the uh, Daily Mail uh, uh, reported on a performance of that poem as, a, as um, they've described it as a love poem from one gay man to another. <laughs> uh, so I thought it was terrific, you know. Certainly puts a whole different complexion on four day old smile when you think of it, you know. So. I should say, of course, that's, four, that's caused some confusion as well. Four-day-old smile because he'd been smiling for four days, not because he was four years old. You know, in which case, it would be you know, a poem about someone breaking wind. But it's, he, was, he was at least, whatever they are, two months. This is the uh, contractual obligation poem for his wee brother, um, Jamie, who was, um, had a slightly harder time getting here. Um, almost impossible. Uh, it's called The Thread. Jamie made his landing in the world so hard he ploughed straight back into the earth. They caught him by the thread of his one breath and pulled him up. They don't know how it held. And so today I thank what higher will brought us to here, to you and me and Russ, the great twin engines swaying wingspan of us, roaring down the back of Kerry Hill and your two-year-old lungs somehow outdriving every engine in the universe. All that trouble just to turn up dead was all I thought that long week. Now the thread is holding all of us. Look at our tiny house, son, the white dot of your mother waving. It's a poem called A Fraud. I realise, you know, you realise these things retrospectively. There's a poem of, of, of Heaney's called The uh, Personal Helican that, that, that I, I can see that I must have been unconsciously aspiring to uh, in this poem. Uh, except it's, it's not like that for me. Um, a fraud. I was 20 and crossing a field near Bridgefoot when I saw something glossing the toe of my boot and bent down to spread the bracken and dock where a tiny wellhead had broken the rock. It strained through the gap as a little clear tongue that replenished its shape with the shape of its song, and it spoke. It said, Son, I've no business with you. Whatever I own is the next fellow's due. But if I'm as doom or Castilian spring, your directive's the same. Keep walking. But before I could soak back into the stone, I dropped like a hawk and I made it my own, and I bit its slim root until it confessed, then swallowed its shout in the cave of my breast. Now two strangers shiver under one roof, the one who delivers the promise and proof, and the one I deploy for the poem of the kiss. It gives me no joy to tell you this.
I'll read a wee poem. It's a version of Cavafy, because um, I never read it. Um, I'm, you know, um, maybe in the next life I'll come back as a as a gay love poet, but I would be very very content with that. It's, you know, gay love poetry is it's proper love poetry. You know, this is a, it's a wee thing called the the banded shoulder. He said he'd hurt himself on a wall or had fallen. But no doubt there was some other reason for the wound, for the bandaged shoulder. He was reaching up to the shelf for a photograph he wanted to look at more closely when the bandage came undone. A little blood ran. I did it up for him again, taking far too much time over the binding. He wasn't in pain. And, to be honest, I liked looking at the blood. That blood, it was all part of my love. When he left, I found a strip torn from the bandage under his chair, a rag I should have thrown straight in the trash, but I picked it up and raised it to my lips and kept it there a long while. His blood on my lips, all my love, my love's blood. Oh, I, I, here we go. By way of contrast, here's the sort of shite the uh, heterosexuals, right? Uh, this is, um, a, you know, a poem I wish someone else had written. Um, but I did think it. It's called A Gift. <clears throat> that night she called his name, not mine, and could not call it back. I shamed myself and thought of that blind girl and Kodiak who sat out on the stoop each night to watch the daylight fade and lift her child down to the gate cut in the palisade and what old caution love resigned when through that misty stair she passed the boy to not her bearskinned husband but the bear I'll read a few of these I've got a book coming out in about um, uh, eight weeks time um that's two months um, of aphorisms uh, uh, so I'll just read a few of those because there's no o- other opportunity to do so you know there's no kind of British aphorism circuit that you're ever likely to be big on right? um, so, so forgive me and there's also no convention for, for audiences it's an awkward position for you to be placed in I don't know honestly how you're supposed to react to these things you know a snort of congratulations I don't know a node, you know, a, you know. A, yeah. um, so I'll, I'll read five minutes of these, then stop and read a few more points. Um, falling and flying are near identical sensations in all but one final detail. We should remember this when we see those men and women seemingly in love with their own decline. The sadness of old shoes. Putting them on again, I suddenly remember all the old friends I hadn't seen for ages. And then, why? <laughs> suddenly, there was nothing I could do to impress her. All the brilliant discussion, the sublime compliments, the poems and songs I laid at her feet. I began to fear the worst, that if I was loved at all, I was loved for myself. No email for an hour. The bastards. (laughs) 
I read a definition of the word solid, something which retains its shape, and find myself immediately terrified by the willfulness of objects. I came home. I had grown sick of my accent. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. The most erotic things that can be done to you are those that are driven by the purest selfishness on the part of your lover. Charity, on the other hand, is the great anaphrodisiac. All my teachers have been women, although several men have taken me aside for an hour to tell me things they know. <laughs> when I turn away from a man and a woman, he grows wings and, and sorry, she grows wings and he grows horns. I counter the feeling by speaking well of him immediately. Yeah, nice guy, nice guy, nice guy. My spell against demons. Against the wings, I have no protection. Entire years in total thinking about sex, but then entire years spent asleep. Hey ho. <laughs> Though we acquire an air of inviolate religiosity in our solitude, nothing makes us less human than a solitude interrupted. Specifically, the monophone treble obscenity of the William Tell overture on the mobile phone of the guy opposite me in the train, his huge red spectacles, his yelled bonhomie. I find myself praying that his next call will bring him news of the death of his mother. <laughs> Anal sex, you can do these things in London. Anal sex has one serious advantage. There are few cinematic precedents that instruct either party how they should look. This is hopeless because I'm just reading the funny ones now. You know, it's not funny. It's not funny. Right, okay, not funny ones. Um, each time I reveal to someone my last deceit, I am, I am compelled to perpetrate another. Something of me always concealed from everyone, I will always know of some small part of ghosthood. Terrible description in the newspaper today of a woman watching her child fall fatally from a high shoot. It was as if everything went into slow motion. No, time had not slowed. She had hesitated. Can you imagine a lioness in such a paralysis of spectatorship? In my adult life, the time I have actually lived inside the present moment would amount to mo no more than a single day. If only I could have lived it as a single day. It would have thrown its light into the, all the others like a brazier in a dark arcade. Instead, I find my way by sparks and what they briefly made visible. No fury more righteous than that of a sinner accused of the wrong sin. 
this is kind of true. I am berated by, <laughs> unlike the others, <laughs> it's merely occurred to me, I am berated by a young gunslinger of a drama critic for my naive and passe symbolism. In my next play, a young gunslinger of a drama critic is yanked from the audience, hung and disemboweled in the first scene. I take a deep satisfaction in the thought that even he, however naive and passe he may feel it to be, will find in this no trace of the symbolic whatsoever. <laughs> Sleeping with your own muse is an unpardonable breach of literary protocol. But to sleep with a friend and then tell him about it is to do them the greatest favour as an artist. I'd imagine. I'm terrified of my euphorias. Influenza or despair is a day away. Almost everything in the room will survive you. To the room you are already a ghost. A pathetic, soft thing coming and going. It's a couple of aphorisms. Like we need that. Um, Of course you don't like all the aphorisms. I don't like all of you. The aphorism is a brief waste of time. The poem is a complete waste of time. The novel is a monumental. (laughs) I considered myself immune to the sirens of suicide until one morning I somehow managed to alert myself to a grievous sea change. The idea had just crossed my mind casually. Since that moment I have been roped to the master myself. No matter how beautiful it is, if it appears in the wrong month, kill it. Seventy years, but your childhood was an infinity. What fools we were to sign up to time. A couple more. Um, A mercy, I suppose, that it ended. Any deeper intimacy with each other's anatomy would have involved a murder. Traditionally, the defining moment in a man's life arrives when he looks in his shaving glass and sees his father staring back. But there is a day so much more terrible, we rarely speak of it, when he catches himself naked in a full-length mirror and sees his mother. halfway through a, a version um, of the uh, Rilke's Sonus to Orpheus which according to fucking Amazon is coming out next December <laughs> um, which will be lucky um, I always find it really weird that you can pre-order books that people haven't written yet you know it's not um, but I'd like to read a couple of those I, I'm sure you I'm sure this being LRB bookshop and you know um, you all know about the sonnets to Orpheus but it's um, uh, these were uh, a sequence of 55 sonnets that Rilke wrote while he was coming to the end of the Dueno Elegies you know which is normally considered to be the you know the big one for Rilke uh, I think the sonnets are the big one because he got them for nothing um, he described them as a kind of enigmatic dictation these are poems that he just took down very very quickly 55 immaculate mind blowing uh, German sonnets written in a period of uh, 13 days you know now that's inhuman you know that's not the behavior of a normal person but then Rilke wasn't he was a kind of uh, 
particulate insect, you know. So these are not really versions, they're kind of interpretations because it was a kind of oracular outpouring from his point of view, you know. So I don't think he really knew what he was saying himself half the time. Um, neither do I, but you have to decide um, what it might have been. I'll read a couple of those. Uh, this is called The Flowers. Consider the flowers true only to the earth, yet we lend them a fate from the borders of fate and supervise their fadings, their little deaths. How right that we should author their regret. Everything rises, and yet we trudge along, laying our heavy selves upon the world. What wearisome teachers we are for things, while the earth dreams on in its eternal childhood. But if someone took took them into infinite sleep, lay down with them, how lightly he would waken to the strange day out of the common deep. Or perhaps he'd stay, stay until they weakened and took him in as one of their own kind, a meadow brother, a breath inside the wind. The passing. Be ahead of all departure. Learn to act as if like the last winter it was all over for among the winters one is so exact that wintering it your heart will last forever die die through Eurydice that you might pass into the pure accord praising the more singing the more amongst the waning be the glass that shudders in the sound of its own ringing be, and at the same time know the state of non-being the boundless inner sky that this time you might fully honour it take all of nature its one vast aggregate jubilantly multiply it by the nothing of yourself and clear the slate there's one more of these breath breath you invisible poem pure exchange sister to silence being and its counterbalance rhythm wherein I become ocean I accumulate by stealth by the same slow wave rarest of all seas the thief of the whole cosmos what estates what lands and worlds have already poured through my lungs the four winds are like daughters to me. Do you know me, air that once sailed through me, you that were once the leaf and rind of my every word? Uh, and two or three more points to finish with, I think. I could read some of the Scots, kind of pointlessly. Um, even in Scotland, they don't understand it, you know. I don't know why people write in Scots, uh, because they barely speak it, you know, in Scotland they speak a kind of urban Scots, um, but the stuff you write in the page really has no currency as speech, um, so it's a kind of um, forlorn Republican gesture, I think, you know, um, nonetheless, uh, it's a, a wee poem called Zen Song uh, uh, Daily Gone, um, I won't bother 
actually I will, I'll read an English translation for you very, very quickly because it's quite short, so we can do that. Um, Zen song, Daily Gone is just twilight, you know, the going of the day. As all we know of the starless dark, as the world it falls among, all we have uh, of the uh, stream or birch is their brown or silver song. Each pair of eyes uh, in heaven or earth might have them by another, though the birch, though the birch uh, sings to no beast or bird or stream to human brother. Um, and this is where it sounds terrible in English. For um, for the uh, silvery grey um, song isn't a kind of grey kind of lichen. Um, bollocks in English. Um, the, the golden song isn't stone and there's no stream or birch at all but just the song alone. Zen sang at daily gone. As all we can of the sternless dirk as the world that falls among all we hear the burn and burk as the brun or silver sang. Each pair of een and lift or yud might hear them by another though the burk chants to the beast or bird nor burn to human brother for the lyre songs no stain ye raw, though in gowden songs no stain, and there's nae burn or burk at all, but just the song alone. I'll read uh, two more, and I think I'll be bone enough. Um, a point called Letter to the Twins. The twins addressed here, incidentally, are Romulus and Remus. Um, but also it was to do with the fact that when uh, uh, I was waiting for my own wee boys to be born, um, I found it a kind of period of fantastic uh, and um, uh, fantastic passivity. Um, as it is for most fathers, I think, you know, that, that nine months of waiting. Um, and in that time, I got to thinking, I got kind of profoundly conscious of all the squillion, stupid, non-transferable terrestrial skills um, that I developed just to get through the day, you know, tying your shoelaces, drawing the curtains, running the bath, making a cup of tea, you know, and just the thought of them coming into the world and having to learn all this stuff just kind of exhausted me, you know. Um, it, and it got me thinking about what things were worth worth bothering with, worth bothering learning. Um, right up to the twins. Dear sons, for I am not, as you believed, your uncle. Forgive me now my dereliction. In those nine months, the single thought that grieved me most was not your terrible instruction in the works of men, the disillusionments, Nanking and Srebrenica, Baba Yar. You bent above those tables of events by whose low indices you might infer how far you'd fallen. No. It was instead the years you'd spent reconstituting all the billion tedious skills of humanhood, the infinite laws of Rome, the protocols of every minor court and consulate, the city that must rise up from its raised foundations, mirrored and immaculate for as often as we come back to this place. In some, they might account it a disaster, but whatever I did, I did it as a deft composer of the elements, the master of all terrestrial drag and spin and heft. Look at this hand, the way it knows how light to grip the pen, how far above the brim to fill the cup, or hard to steer the kite, or slowly it can travel through the flame. 
more it knows the vanity of each. But were I to commend just one reserve of study, one a promise that will teach you nothing of use, and so not merely serve to deepen your attachment or your debt, where each small talent added to the hoard is doubled in its spending, and somehow yet no more or less than its own clean reward, it would be this, the honouring of your lover. Learn this, and she will guide you, if not home, then at least to its true memory. And wherever the world loses you, in her you are the same. First she will address you in a tongue so secret she must close her mouth on yours. In the curves and corners of the silent song will lie the whole code of your intercourse. Then as you break, at once you understand how the roses of her breast will draw in tight at your touch. How that parched scrubland between her thighs breaks open into wet suddenly as though you'd found a stream running through it like a seam of milk know by its tiny pulse and its low gleam just where the pearl sits knuckled in its silk how that ochre pink anemone relaxes and unknots under your white hand under your light hand and white spit and how that lovely mouth that has no kiss will take the deepest you can plant in it and how to make that shape that boys, alas, will know already as the sign of her gun, yet slide it with a woman's gentleness till you meet that other muzzle coming down. Now, in all humility, retrace your steps that you might understand in full the privilege that brought you to this place, that let you know the break below the wool. And as you lie there by her side, and feel the wet snout of her womb nuzzle and lather your fingertips, then you might recall your mother, or her who said she was your mother. B poem to finish off with, and thanks for listening. <coughs> I'm a great fan of these um, Buddhist enlightenment tales, you know. Um, <coughs> This is a really well-known one, which you probably you've heard already, but maybe not in sonnet form. Um, it's called the light. When I reached his bed, he was already blind. Thirteen years had gone, and yet my mind was as dark as on my ordination day. Now I was shameless. I begged him for the light. Is it not taught all is illusory, and still you did not guess the truth of it? There is no light, fool. Now have you awoken? And he laughed, and then he left us. I was broken. I went back to my room to pack my things, my begging bowl, my robe and cup, the prayer mat I would leave. It lay there, frayed and framed, and a square of late sun and out of pure habit no less out of nothing for I was nothing I watched myself sit down for one last time Thank you for joining us for this London Review Bookshop event For more visit our website at www.londonreviewbookshop.co.uk or search for the London Review Bookshop on iTunes.
Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 